Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Rico, and as always, we've got a great show for you. Uh, starting things out here in just a moment or two with, of course, another great discussion on the Coach's Corner panel. And then a little bit later on in the show, I'm going to be joined by my good friend and special guest tonight, Brett Cohen, the founder of the NY Golf Fitness Guru, uh, a great uh, uh, golf fitness instructor. He's going to be joining me. We're going to uh, do part two uh, of last month's, uh, which is um, – some of the mistakes, of course, that uh, you're making in the gym uh, in order to, in fact, the actual title, if you want, is the biggest mistakes you're making in the gym. Part two is going to be tonight. Well, of course, we'll have a recap of part one, but uh, I'm going to introduce the guys here in the Coach's Corner in just a minute, but let me just remind everybody, of course, uh, we are live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central uh, here on the blogtalkradio.com network, and of course, the easiest and simplest way to find us is go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live or just simply type golf talk live up in the search key and uh, that will take you to the main page if you can't join us live uh, during that time slot uh, not to worry just visit that link and scroll down to the on-demand section you can listen uh, to the recorded version there as it will be uh, recorded in its entirety tonight and you can tune in whenever it's convenient for you some other great ways to uh, join us as well is go to some other social media platforms uh, itunes.com stitcher.com tunein.com and now talk stream live Dot com as well and again just uh, simply type in golf talk live up in the search key and that will take you to uh, the appropriate uh, links and so forth so you can listen to it there on some of those social media platforms if you wish um, also uh, you're welcome to call in we would love to hear from you during especially during the panel discussions uh, we really want to try and, and push that for next season but uh, uh, we're certainly happy to close out this season here in the last month or so uh, so call into the show the number is 646 716 4667. Don't be shy. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, some other great ways that you can also reach out to me is uh, my email address is ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. If you've got any questions or comments about the show or maybe a specific topic that we haven't covered yet uh, or you'd like us to recover, uh, by all means, feel free to reach out. If you're somebody in the golf industry, you don't necessarily have to be a golf instructor or teacher uh, or coach, uh, just maybe somebody in the golf industry, maybe you've written a great book. Uh, created an interesting product that you think uh, can help some of those uh, struggling golfers out there, uh, again, feel free to reach out to me at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com, and I'll see about getting you into the uh, slot. Hopefully, if not uh, by the end of the season, I'll work in sometime uh, next uh, season when we start up again. So, But on that note, um, let me just say that uh, I've got a great panel for tonight, and uh, I've got one gentleman particularly who's filling in for uh, a gentleman that was supposed to be on tonight, Clint Wright, and uh, Clint, our good buddy, uh, unfortunately uh, had to cancel tonight um, as, a, as a result of uh, Hurricane Florence there the other week. Uh, he's from Pendleton, South Carolina. 
and he sends his uh, best to uh, all of you out there, and I appreciate uh, uh, the one that is filling in. So let me just introduce these guys, and I'll bring them out. And the one that's filling in for Clint tonight, of course, is another good friend, John Hughes. He's a PGA Master Professional and the president of the uh, North Florida PGA section. He's also a recipient of the uh, 2013 PGA of America's Horton Smith Award, as well as one of the top 30 instructors contributing to Golf Tips magazine. Uh, also uh, joining on the panel tonight, uh, another uh, favorite on the show is uh, Paul Castor. He's one of the country's leading golf coaches, uh, a Golf Channel Academy lead coach, and was recognized by Golf Digest as one of the best teachers in New Jersey for 2017 and 2018. Uh, also honored by U.S. Kids Golf as one of 2017's top 50 kids teachers, and he's a Level 2 certified uh, by the Titleist Performance Institute, Aimpoint, and of course, K-Motion. Uh, John and Paul, welcome to Coach's Corner. Ted, thanks, thanks for us. All right. Well, I, I appreciate it, guys. And, again, a particular thank you to you, John, for filling in for Clint tonight. I know he appreciates it. And uh, you, can, uh, you can weigh in when he comes back. Uh, hopefully he'll be in for next month. Uh, you can uh, give him a little jolt and, and uh, maybe send him an email or something and say I filled in for you. So, um, But, guys, welcome to the show, and I appreciate uh, both of you coming on. All right. We're going to talk about uh, tonight on the panel discussion, we're going to talk about uh, the top six physical attributes of elite golfers. And these are some of the key areas um, that some of the best players in the world have in common. You know, we always hear about, uh, you know, seeing them working out and, and doing all of these different things. Uh, and there's a reason for that. It's not just to look good. Um, they're, they're training and conditioning, obviously, key areas of the body that need to be properly engaged uh, in order to, to swing the club uh, efficiently and obviously to, to get a little extra distance. And, of course, we're going to cover that a little bit later on in the show tonight when Brett comes on. But, uh, uh, John, I'm going to start with you, if you don't mind, and then, uh, Paul, I'll, I'll bring you in as well. And, and one of the, the, the first things, and, and, again, these are not necessarily in any particular order, but one of the first things is, is uh, for an elite uh, player is to have sufficient hip mobility. Um, and, and really all you have to do is to watch uh, – some of the slow motion, if you will, of a good golf string, uh, swing excuse me, and just recognize how aggressive that hip rotation during the golf swing actually is. Maybe touch a little bit about that. I know there's other areas we're going to get into that, so don't, don't jump ahead. But let's talk about the hip mobility and that. How important is that for our elite players to have that good mobility? For elite players, uh, to me, that's probably 1A or 1B uh, tied with the with the core or the hip girdle area, um, the the real key behind all this to me with the elite player is that when they've got hip restrictions, typically they've got to compensate upper body and up, meaning chest, shoulders, arms, and that leads into poor timing a lot of times. Uh, hip right when you think about it to the average person who may be listening to this i ask my average players well how do you walk well what makes you walk and most people think well it's my foot well your the old song the foot's connected to this connected to that it's your hip so right. when it comes to hips when you think of people who have back issues when you think of people who have mobility issues typically it is in the hips uh, the world-class athletes in every sport, when you look at them, not just golf, have superior right. hip flexibility and mobility. 
whether it's a Tom Brady being able to throw a pass at his age as far as he does, look at what his hips do that allows the the upper body to coil and release the football that far. Uh, Greg Maddox at an advanced age in baseball, same thing. His hip flexibility, and, and he plays golf now, and so does John Smoltz. These are guys that constantly are making sure the hips are mobile, flexible, and able to do the right things for themselves, not only as human beings, but as the athletes that they want to be. I think you see that. You're going to see that in all the Ryder Cup players this weekend, too. Right. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Well said, John. Um, and, and Paul, something that we see in, in some of our amateur players, just to, to sort of piggyback <clears throat> on what John was just saying, you know, we see a lot of restriction in hip movement with our older players, particularly um, just because as age and, and, uh, and, and all those wonderful things that happens to us as we, we uh, sort of get up the ladder of, of um, uh, in numbers, we see uh, a lot of that hip flexor and, and that hip in, in general tends to start to, to freeze up a little bit. And you'll see, as, as John pointed out, some compensation. Um, but when we're looking at our elite players, and, and I'm going to throw in here, obviously, some of our top college kids out there uh, who have that youth and, and have that ability, uh, obviously have great hip flex uh, for most uh, part. Touch a little bit on, on your perspective on the importance of that. And if there's things that maybe when you're working with some of your not so elite players, if there's things that you do to help gain some of that flexibility with, with your students. Yeah, sure. So uh, the golf swing is uh, it's a sequence. It's called the, the kinematic sequence. And, um, you know, it's uh, John mentioned baseball players and pitchers, uh, major league baseball players who've become really good golfers and very competitive. One of the reasons why they're so good uh, as golfers is that they've trained the sequence um, in their baseball lives. And it's, you know, they can transfer it over to, to the, uh, you know, the golf swing into that motion and your mobility, uh, your pelvis mobility, your ability to tilt your pelvis and, and turn it, uh, accelerate it, uh, on a tilt on plane, uh, basically is, is really, really important for how efficient your sequence is. And so that's why for elite players, it's really important for just average golfers. It's really important because if you don't have the mobility in your hips that you need, uh, you can't create separation uh, that you kind of, you, you need to start the downswing. Well, it makes you, it'll make you a lot faster. It'll allow you to swing the club on plane. Um, so I think it's really critical for uh, the success of just kind of a typical golfer club player, but also, you know, for, high-level athletes. Um, so no matter mm. what your golf goals or what your skills are, you have to have mobile hips, and you have to be able to kind of use them to start your downswing um, in order to, to make a good golf swing and to reach your, you know, reach your right. ball striking goals, really. Right. Uh, well said, uh, uh, Paul. And I think the other thing, guys, too, and I think you'd probably both agree with this, and, and John, you, you mentioned this uh, in, in yours as well, um, obviously when the hips aren't working well, and again, uh, it can really be any, anybody that this can be, it, it could be somebody that maybe just doesn't have a lot of flexibility in their hips, regardless of age. Uh, but predominantly as we age, I mean, that's one area because of years and years of use. And, and it's, a, as, as John, as you pointed out, I mean, when we walk, that's really, uh, where we're engaging. Um, but 
there's a lot of compensation uh, in the golf swing. When the hips aren't firing properly, we see a lot of, especially some of our, our senior men, you know, we see them, there's more of a bump, and it's, and it's kind of like they're, they're almost, you know, trying to throw themselves onto the other side in order to get through the, the golf swing because their hips won't turn properly. Um, so are there some drills or things, guys, and, and, and John, I'm going to bounce back to you first, and then, and then Paul, are there some specific drills or things that you guys try to do when you notice uh, in, your, in your initial assessments of, of some of your students, especially a new student, if you notice that their hips are not uh, working well, obviously there's, um, you know, we want them to consult with, with somebody if it's a serious problem, but if it's a, a minor problem or you see there's a, an issue, are there some things that you guys try to do to, to really help them to understand the importance of firing that, that hip? John, I'm going to go to you first. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and one thing I want to back up on here is uh, we're talking about lack of flexibility. The extreme opposite mm-hmm. that you see in a lot of juniors is that because their muscular or skeletal systems may be a little underdeveloped, you'll see excessive rotation or excessive flexibility in the hips. So I want to add a term right. here, which is stability. You need stability to be flexible, believe it or not. When I when I say that to people, they look at me and, and they scratch their head and they're like, well, those are two opposites. And in actuality, in the core, they're not. Uh, when you're When you lack the stability, you are flexible like a rubber band or a flag floating in the breeze. But when you've got stability, it's like putting a stave through the top of the flag so it points in the direction that the wind's going in but it allows the flag to still move uh, the way the wind wants it to move. So just to use a really simple example there, when I see lack of stability or lack of rotation and flexibility, that's normally one of the first things I'll go after with a average golfer. And I'm, when I use a system where, where I'm trying to chunk it in bits and pieces and have someone understand what that movement should feel like without a golf club first, such as throwing a medicine ball or an impact bag. And I have both at my teaching tent with me. And then we gradually move into what should it feel like with a golf club, what should it feel like without a golf club and without the bag. Because what people get so enamored with is I got to hit the ball. And when you're telling them that, hey, in order to hit it better and hit it further and hit it straighter, you need that core stability and rotation flexibility – it's it's just two diabolically opposing thoughts, and they can't keep it on both. But if you can get them feeling how that rotation works, then that's great. From the opposite side, I was just saying, maybe someone's too flexible. Maybe someone doesn't have the stability, and therefore they're sort of flapping in the breeze. Trying to get them in a more stable position while still feeling that rotation is real critical. So whether it's spreading the legs, putting a ball in between the knees, that would stable something out. It also forces them to put weight on the inside of the feet or balance the feet out versus having the feet rotate outward to the outside as they get to the top or the either, either side of the top of the swing back or through. Those kinds of things will stabilize the hips but still allow the rotation of the hips to happen as the what I call the actuator of the swing versus having the upper body actuate. Yeah, yeah, I, I understand exactly what you're saying, and and that's that's another great point as well, um, Paula. I, let, let's take on, on on what John was just talking about. Um, maybe too much flexibility. Uh, I'm sure you see that in a lot of juniors. 
Uh, it's in, in some ways it might seem like a great thing to have. Boy, I wish I was as flexible, but John raises a, a great point. Sometimes, you know, they're kind of flapping in the wind and they get so much flexibility um, that it actually uh, impedes them from making uh, a really good golf swing because they get too, too flexible and they're kind of all over the place. Are, are there some things that you do when you see a situation like that, for instance, that you try to help scale it back a little bit? Uh, are there things that you do with the way that you set them up so that that sort of creates that stability that John was talking about? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, teaching juniors, um, a lot of times they're hypermobile in some ways and then really mm-hmm. lack mobility in others. Um, so a lot of times when kids are going through growth spurts, their bones are growing, uh, but their muscles don't always stretch at the same rate. And so you see a lot of hamstring tightness and uh, in kids as they're going through growth spurts. And on the other hand, you know, I just I did two TPI evaluations this afternoon, um, and I uh, saw kind of both ends of the spectrum. One uh, middle-aged professional, you know, who had some tightness, and uh, we needed to work on his mobility. And then I had a junior who had a you know a ton of mobility, um, and we're gonna we'll have to work on his stability. I use KVest a lot to help them find. K, K coach, I should say, uh, to help them find um, good posture. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. making sure that you set up with good pelvic tilt, um, dance with, uh, making sure that you're not bent over too much or standing too tall. All those things affect how stable uh, you are when you swing the golf club. But, you know, there's some strength, uh, strength training also that goes into feeling a little bit more stable. Um, so we give them exercises to do and, uh, it's probably a little bit longer than, than answering your question allows, but, um, right. Yeah. No, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. It, no, that, there's that's exactly. a variety of ways to deal with it. Yeah. And, and obviously we're not going to get into a, you know, specific, uh, uh training that, that you might want to do because that's something that really, uh, you need to, you know, as a player, for those of you listening out there or, or um, you know, some of our amateurs that are tuning in, um, you, this is where you want to go to, you know, your golf coach or your teach professional and have that discussion with them. Um, they can certainly help to a point. Um, and many of them now, not all of them, some of them are, are TPI certified and, and others uh, may also uh, be certified in fitness. And if that's the case, great. If not, many of them work with a, a certified fitness instructor um, work hand in hand and, and can create a, a great plan uh, between the two of them uh, to help you with that side of, of your golf game. Uh, in addition to just, you know, learning how to, to play the game. Um, Paul, I want to uh, take a deep breath. I'm going to come back to you because you, you um, mentioned this just here a moment ago. Um, and, and that's important as well. Let's talk about the pelvic tilt uh, and, and what that actually means uh, I know we don't have the visual component here, so it's a little difficult to, to show, but when, when you're trying to, uh, you know, show a student for the first time, let's go with, with some of our, our amateur students, um, and maybe they're just coming out for the first time, and you've done your assessment, and you realize um, that they're not tilting correctly. Um, explain what you mean by that. What, what are they not doing correctly um, with respect to their, their pelvis? Uh, so if we're talking about the address position, 
uh, your pelvis has to be tilted yep. forward toward the golf ball. Um, when you set up to a ball for your body, body to function the way it needs to, to swing a golf club, well, you know, swing as fast as you can swing to swing the club on plane. And so just as an example, <clears throat> I see a fair number of players who uh, don't have enough, uh, way more players who don't have enough forward pelvic tilt than players who have too much. Um, and so, you know, a range would be somewhere maybe between like 12 or 13 degrees and 26 or 27 degrees tilted toward the ball. Um, and we're trying, a good, you know, an instructor can help you find that, that you know, that position. Um, but we're trying to find that position in the address and, and then maintain that tilt through the swing. And that has to do with, mechanical understanding of what you need to feel and do while you're swinging the golf club, but it also has to do with mobility uh, and stability and making sure that your hips and low back are in a condition to be able to do that uh, when you set up to the ball. Um, So, you know, we want to feel like we're tilting forward uh, and it's kind of feels like, um, you know, if the top of your belt were the top of a bucket, like you're pouring water out of the front of the bucket toward the golf ball is a good example. Um, and uh, I think um, a lot of people would benefit from that. Yeah, and and again, I, I apologize to, to those listening. I know it's difficult sometimes when you can't physically see uh, some of the descriptions that we're talking about, but that was a great analogy that you used to, to give them uh, a little bit of a visual. Um, John, maybe you can also explain a little bit about pelvic tilt as far as what it actually means to tilt your pelvic, um, your, your pelvic bone, if you will. Um, a lot of people don't maybe necessarily understand what that means. You know, when we see people addressing the ball, as, as Paul was suggesting, you know, a lot of times they're kind of slumped over. Um, what is a pelvic tilt? That's a great question from to a commoner because um, I'm not as uh, technically trained as Paul. However, through various rehab stints of my own, plus seeing athletes that I've worked with having to go through rehab, when we're talking about pelvic tilt, it's very, very simple. And Paul used a great analogy. Think of your upper body as a bucket. You're keeping your lower body pretty stable, and you're just tilting the bucket over as if you're going to, spill water out. I mean, that's one of the best analogies I've ever heard to sort of say it uh, more layman-like. What I see when people think of pelvic tilt are some of these other hints or reminders or visionary analogies of uh, try to not quite sit on a bar stool or uh, Mm -hmm. try to squat down and not necessarily sit all the way down what I see happens there is, yeah, you're making a semi-pelvic tilt, but what you're really doing is putting so much stress on the hip flexors, the glutes and hamstrings in particular, that the true pelvic tilt can't happen. Those muscles have to stabilize where the hinge is being made in your hip joint, and it prevents the pelvic area from being in a position to stabilize itself, which isn't necessarily directly underneath your 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 legs underneath your femurs most people think it actually curves outward which it protrudes the rear end a little bit 
and that's what stabilizes it. So when, when you describe it that way, people think, oh, put my butt out over a bar stool, and then all of a sudden they can't understand why their pelvis is thrusting forward as they swing, right. as they swing through. So the, the real simple thing is, hey, if you locked your <clears throat> knees and kept that the bottom of the bucket stable and you tilted the front of it forward to spill water out, and you're only trying to get it to tilt over to, say, 10, 30, 11 o'clock on a clock, and then unlocked your knees, you've achieved a pelvic tilt. It, it's literally that simple. Right. It doesn't involve anything more than that the waist-hip area doing those things with a locked knee. The unlock of the knee provides a stability underneath for it to be there as you swing. Yeah, and, and that's what a lot of people, you'll often hear, uh, you know, golf instructors and golf coaches talking about getting into that athletic position. And that's that once that tilt has happened uh, and obviously unlocking the knees, you're kind of in that athletic position. Uh, obviously, you're going to let your arms hang down and, and uh, take the club but, uh, to, to complete it. But essentially what you're doing is you're, you're creating a balance in your body and a stability in your body that is now going to allow you to make additional movements, obviously, in this case, uh, the golf swing. And without doing that, if you tilt your body in in a different way, without doing those components, without having a proper hip tilt, uh, John, as you mentioned, and you get the uh, sort of the hip tilt with with it sort of, uh, you know, pointing out a little bit more, uh, when they actually try to complete the golf swing, uh, they're going to have to make further adjustments in order to swing the club properly. And then that gets into all kinds of sort of funky different things. Um, great, uh, great analogies, guys. And, and, um, and, and Paul, I, I like the, the, the bucket uh, imagery as well. I think that's a great one for people to have. Um, also, that was mentioned, and, and John, I'm going to, you take a deep breath. We're coming back to you. Uh, this was something that both of you have mentioned, but John, I think you mentioned it first in, in the opening uh, comments. Uh, and that is really about the core. Um, you know, we, we see that some of the best athletes. Uh, out there again, whether it's golf or, or otherwise, have very strong uh, core muscles. And, and let me just say this, um, just so that people understand: don't equate somebody that necessarily has a six-pack abs and somebody that doesn't have six-pack abs as as not having a strong core. I know a lot of people that don't have those six-pack abs that are very strong in their core. Um, so you know, let's make sure people understand that. But talk about the, the core muscle, if you will what role that plays, and uh, John, I'm going to you first, um, and, and why it's crucial um, that those muscles be engaged properly and what role they kind of play in helping with the golf swing. When the core is engaged, you're just more stable. That's the only way I know how to say it. Um, a, a few years back, I was able to meet, was honored to meet Kai Fuser who was on at the Swarm Stands uh, PT. And he told me a story about when Annika was really trying to play really well. She was searching for something, and, and he asked her to pull her belly button in. And when she pulled the belly button in, all of a sudden, everything seemed to be much more stable. And she felt like she could make a really good rock through the, the swing, a really good swing. And it felt more stable. So she actually started pulling her belly button in as a trigger to engage core. What was she really doing when you're talking about core? You're talking about not only your hip flexors, glutes, and hamstrings, 
You're talking about your obliques and your lower abdominals, which allows you to be more stable from a, from a horizontal standpoint of view and allows this region to be more rotational. The more rotation, the more torque, the more torque, the potential for more speed, the more speed, the potential the ball goes further. So I actually tried this myself and found it to be, I, I, I still to this day, my trigger is I'll bring my belly button to my spine, stabilizes me, and it allows me to remain a little bit better balanced. I hit good golf shots. I, it, it's amazing. But that's, that's what core engagement is. If you can engage that core, and, and the literal thing, if someone's listening to this now, if they were to stand up, take their belly button and just try to pull it in all the way in to their spine, they're going to feel their hips open up. They're going to feel their glutes not necessarily get tight, but get in a better supporting position for that pelvic tilt, that spinal tilt to be more solid throughout the swing. You'll be very surprised with that. And then the other thing I saw with me was when I did that, I found a disproportionate amount of weight up on my toes which then provided me the ability to feel that I was up on my toes. I was able to balance my feet out with better balance and better rotation. My game exponentially improved. Uh, it was amazing what that did, just being able to engage the core. When someone's holding their breath, and we see that, a lot of bet your Paul sees this a lot when someone's uh, swinging, I'll ask them, hey, are you exhaling or inhaling? as you're striking the ball and they go, well, I don't know. I already know because I can see them. They're holding their breath. When you're engaging your core, you're actually able to breathe more freely. And as you impact, you're exhaling versus holding your breath. Those are some very, very significant things I found that as you engage core, which is that whole midsection, you become more stable, more rotational. You're, you're more free to move as an athlete. Yeah, and, and, you know, John, you, you raise a very interesting um, thought here, and, and I'm glad that you use Annika Sorenstam as an example. Uh, obviously, when she was playing uh, on the LPJ Tour, you know, she was very dominant uh, in her play, and she obviously took good care of herself and worked out and, and did all kinds of, of personal training in that. Um, and, and obviously the same thing, uh, you know, with on the men's side with Tiger, and this is why he was – so dominant for so long. And of course, uh, you know, we saw him uh, this past weekend in the uh, tour championship, of course, uh, come back for another win and that hopefully will give him some momentum. But, you know, that was something, it wasn't just about bulking up and, you know, putting on muscle and things like that. It was about working those core muscles. And Paul, you know, something else that we see, uh, and, and this can be identified when we're doing our assessments, when we're looking at uh, some of our amateur players, um, we start to see a, sort of a curvature in the spine when they've got weak ab muscles uh, and core muscles. They'll get this, uh, you know, this sort of bowed look to their to their setup uh, and and not be able to really uh, execute the swing efficiently. So, talk a little bit about that, if you would. Some of the things that you notice and what you try to do, uh, in addition to maybe what John has mentioned, to to try and get them to get back on track. Uh, well, as it, as it relates to the core, you, you can't stabilize 
uh, the the sequence your body in the sequence of the golf swing without uh, a strong core that is activated uh, at the right at the right time. Um, so that's why what John was saying about how when he you know he felt his belly button sucking in toward his, his helped everything and helped him feel more stable and more athletic. Having a strong core allows you to <clears throat> basically maintain your posture. Uh, in the address position, and then during the whole swing, um, you have to know how to activate your core, even if it it could be strong but not engaged, right? So um, mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, the posture problems that we see most often with, with golfers are S posture and C posture. C posture would be uh, kind of a curvature of the upper back, thoracic spine area that really can limit rotation um and a lot of times it just happens because we sit a lot and hunch over our desks uh computers and phones and car you know the wheels of our cars um so uh that's that's probably a little bit more common i you know than uh see you know s posture which is um kind of a curvature in the lower back um and you know pretty common exercise that I recommend for people to do for upper back C posture would be uh, to get a, a, you know, short foam roller um, and put it in the the middle of their back right underneath their uh, shoulder blades and kind of lean back on it and roll out their upper back. You could use tennis balls for this too. Um, And just try to work out some of the tension and tightness that's built up uh, in the muscles in the vertebrae of your upper back. Uh, you also just have to be a little bit more careful with your posture, um, which just takes kind of changing your habits, uh, which isn't always easy, but mm-hmm. if you just kind of stay with it, <laughs> things will, they can really change the way you move and, and the way you swing a golf club. Um, so I think a lot of people just don't fully appreciate the body swing connection. Um, and the fact, you know, that we need to be in a good place with our body physically to accomplish what we need to do with our, our golf swing mechanically. Um, and so, yeah, I think uh, the core and, and how you set up to the golf ball play a big role in that. Would it be a fair assessment then, guys, if I were to say, that some of the things that we've talked about so far with some, some minor changes in, and how we, you know, utilize our posture and, 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 um, you know, getting in a, a good pelvic tilt and engaging the core muscles properly could alleviate a lot of problems that our, our recreational golfers had. And obviously these are things that the pros uh, are a little bit more experienced at through their their uh, you know personal training and and so forth. But would it be a fair statement to say, in other words, that a lot of problems that many golfers come to us with could be alleviated uh, with making some of the changes that that you guys have mentioned here, uh, John Paul? What do you think? Uh, uh, this is Paul. I- I think yeah, yeah I'm just I'm looking for sort of a yes yes or no I yeah absolutely I think there's a there's a physical uh can I do this physically do I have the mobility and stability to do what my instructor 
or, you know, what my coach is trying to get me to do piece. And then there's the physical understanding. Do I know how to actually put myself in this position? And so that's, uh, you know, it's a two part puzzle kind of, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, getting the physical piece, right. Is, is really key. And if you're not in a, in a place physically to change your golf swing, you're probably not going to change it nearly as much as, as you could if you uh, worked on, on your fitness. Right. And, and John, just to add to that, you know, we, we always hear uh, people coming to us and saying, you know, gosh, I'd like more distance and, you know, I want to hit the, the ball a little bit more solid and they're looking for a quick fix. And a lot of times it might be something as, as simple as what you just described a moment ago is, is engaging that core properly. Or maybe it might be they're not, uh, you know, utilizing a, a proper pelvic tilt uh, or, or some of the other things that we've talked about. Um, is that a factor as well, do you think? And, and could a lot of golfers benefit from, you know, taking that extra time to ensure, number one, that their setups are correct uh, and that their posture is correct, um, and they might find be surprised to find that the distance that they you know are looking for um, might might be a little bit better if they were engaging uh, in in a in a more athletic swing as opposed to some of the slumping over that we see. What, what do you think about that? An unequivocal yes to <laughs> every potential bullet point that you just said, and I'll give you I'll give you the most poignant and most personal story I can provide you. And if, if this doesn't convince somebody, I don't know what will. In 2013, when I won the Horton Smith Award, I looked at myself in the mirror realizing I was going to have to give a speech to about 800 to 1,000 people. And I looked at myself and was totally embarrassed. I was practicing six days a week at that point, probably hitting the ball in the air with a driver 230 at best and doing everything I could to correct swing, correct balance, set up correctly, yada, yada, yada. I decided, you know what, I needed to lose weight. And I've got some other health issues that probably was a good idea to lose weight. So I went to a personal trainer. And within four weeks, I was working out six days a week, had three different workout plans, one for general fitness, one for upper body, one for lower body. Spent 90 minutes in the gym, cooled down in a sauna, went to work. I was religious about it. I lost 62 pounds. Wow. During that time, it was from basically August 20th until January 20th, so roughly five months this took place. I stopped practicing as much, maybe once a week. I still maintained a playing of once a week through losing the weight but mainly focusing on golf-specific core exercises to stabilize, create core rotation, uh, trunk stability. Did work on a little bit of upper body. I've always had a pretty decently strong upper body. I went from hitting it possibly 230 into the air or in the air carry to hitting it on average 274 on average. So I gained 44 yards just by working out and and doing very little practicing. The proof is in the pudding. Um, I've gained a little bit a little bit of it back, and 
when I go play, I don't hit it as far because I'm just not as stable. It's on my list of things I need to get done by the end of the year to get back on that because I want to play better. Mm -hmm. But in answer to your question, if that's not proof positive in a personal story, a real story, documented, I've got the photos, I've got the flight scope data to all this, I don't, I don't know what else would convince somebody of that. I really don't. Well, let me, um, yeah, an excellent story. Let me just concur as, as, uh, you know, Paul did, you know, congratulations on that. I know that's not uh, always an easy thing um, to do sometimes when you're, when you're struggling with uh, weight issues and and also uh, health issues as a result sometimes. And uh, I I appreciate you sharing that. And, and, and that is a really an excellent point, John, that you bring up because, you know, obviously we all, uh, again, I don't want to keep sort of beating this age thing, but, you know, obviously as we age, our body goes through changes. Uh, some changes, you know, we can prolong to a certain point, uh, and obviously the inevitable is we're, we're going to get older. Um, but I think is, you know, eating properly and, and exercising properly and smart, uh, and that's why it's always good to, to uh, you know, not just necessarily consult with, a, with your physician, depending on the circumstances, but c- consult with a certified and qualified personal trainer. Um, and particularly, uh, and I want to just throw this out there because not, you know, not everything is always equal. Uh, there's a lot of great fitness trainers out there, but golf is uh, a little bit different than some of the other sports. And there are specific people that are trained uh, certified golf fitness trainers, and there is a difference. Uh, yes, they do do a lot of crossover, and they do understand a lot of the same principles in general fitness, but there are specific exercises and routines that are geared towards um, improving and helping with not only stability, like we're talking about tonight, uh, but also helping uh, with the whole uh, swing, if you will, in, in other areas of the golf game, uh, even stamina. I mean, there's a lot of people get out there that want to still walk, and they're coming around the turn and, and suddenly they're wheezing and coughing and puffing because, you know, they, they've just played nine, you know, nine holes and they're coming up to number 10 and they're already out of breath um, because they just don't, uh, you know, exercise properly and they don't necessarily take care of themselves. So um, great story that you shared, uh, very inspirational. And I would strongly um, suggest for those of you tuning into the show that after the end of the show that you go back and listen to that section again, uh, and let uh, let John's words sort of resonate. And if that's you, that's maybe having some of the same uh, struggles as John had just mentioned. Uh, maybe it's time for you to uh, to make some changes as well. And and uh, again, congratulations, John. Um, I, I want to move on to um, very quickly another area as well. Um, we'll just touch on this, uh, Paul. I'm going to let you sort of handle this, and we don't necessarily both uh, have you do this. But uh, you mentioned Paul about the upper back and its mobility. Of course, I'm talking about the thoracic muscle. Uh, that obviously, uh, again, as you mentioned, I, I guess, you know, slumping over in front of the computer at work in some cases uh, gets that kind of a rounded shoulder. Um, obviously, we need to, to work on that a little bit. You talked about the roller. What are some other things, too, that that can create in the swing uh, that can be negative if, if the, the upper back muscles are not uh, working the way they need to be working or not in, in form that we want them to be? Oh, well, so much in your upper body, you know, just like your lower body, everything is connected, right? So um, it affects the way you rotate. Uh, it can affect your shoulders. Um, and, you know, I think it 
the uh, <clears throat> your shoulder mobility in the golf swing is really key. I didn't want to jump ahead necessarily to something that you were going to bring up, but right, um, you know, being able to rotate your shoulders properly has a huge effect on um, you know how you swing the golf club, whether you can set the club on plane in the downswing um, and, and control it. So, um, you know, I just think that we live increasingly you know living uh sitting down in front of screens with phones in our hand with our heads bending forward our upper back curving forward our shoulders kind of you know coming together in the front and it that really really affects the way uh you swing a golf club how much you can rotate um and how much uh whether or not you're going to be able to kind of maintain the proper tilt so to speak, in the golf swing also. So um, one thing that you can do on a daily basis to just improve your golf a lot is just, you know, work on your posture, make sure you're not bending forward, get your shoulders back, feel your shoulder blades kind of pull back together um, a little bit, try to sit up straight and try to avoid that, you know, text neck that we call it, you know, with people's heads are <laughs> curving, curving forward uh, over the phone all the time. Yeah, yeah, you're you're exactly right, and I think we're all uh, a little bit guilty of that, especially with technology today. And and uh, I know I can be guilty of it. Um, you know, when I'm doing work and particularly getting ready for the shows, you know, I'm typing in front of that computer, and and I got to kind of remind myself that, you know, because your arms get into that sort of a relaxed position, it gets in a, sort of a comfortable position, and when you're in that that sort of mode, if you will, all the time, your muscles start to uh, accommodate. And next thing you know, Absolutely. you know, you want to do something else. And people are saying to, well, you know, you're, you're kind of slumped over a little bit. And I, I know, listen, my mother used to all the time get after me at the table. She says, you know, pull your shoulders back and, you know, you're going to have, uh, you're going to have a big round back when you get older. So I have uh, those words resonate in my my mind every single day I have to remind myself and my mother helps me do that. So um, uh, there's a last area that I want to talk on and John, I'm going to throw this over to you and let you start on this. And of course uh, one of the most important areas and, and I'm going to very, very quickly uh, before we do that, I'm just going to remind everybody what the, the six areas are. Uh, when I started the discussion tonight, of course I talked about the six uh physical attributes of elite golfers uh obviously hip mobility was one uh core control uh we just talked about the upper back or thoracic muscle uh and uh, of course the pelvic tip and on also the hip hinge which i know is a little bit different but um and we're not going to necessarily get into that i think people understand that um and then the final one is of course is lower body strength which ultimately is going to help to give us power so john um, obviously, we, we have to stand on the ground. Uh, we're using our feet, of course, and then our, our legs. And as you pointed out at the beginning of the show, you know, the, the ankle bone connected to the, you know, and so on and so forth. Uh, but our lo lower body plays a key role. And if you look at um, the leg and foot uh, and lower body movement of our elite golfers, there's a lot of things that we can learn from that. Um, obviously, how to increase power. And, and how to basically rotate and how to shift the weight properly in that. So touch a little bit about that, and then, Paul, I want you to add your thoughts in as well. Well, one of the things I tell average golfers that all elite athletes do, it doesn't matter whether it's golf, soccer, football, baseball, it doesn't matter. 
is that great athleticism is built from the ground up. And what I mean by that is you, we've already talked about it briefly that you'll see teachers teach this ready position where maybe you're up on the balls of your feet or on the toes, and that's not necessarily proper in golf because we're starting from a static stop. But at the same time, when you look at a Michael Jordan, he cannot fly through the air with his eyes closed and dunk if his feet could not do what he was asking him to do. You cannot get a world-class pitcher, a world-class offensive or defensive lineman, a a world-class soccer player, believe it or not, a world-class dart thrower, a Mm world-class billiards player. All this starts with great stability of the feet and the ability for the feet to leverage the ground. And we're seeing more and more and more of that with pressure plates and body track as a heat map of what's going on. I mean, it, the science out there is just incredible, but it's confirming what you've always seen as a kid. And I've used this analogy before on the show where two kids are always the captain of a team in their neighborhood. And no matter what the sport, they're always picking the same people first. What they're recognizing is not a, a, a skill, a specialized skill in a particular sport. They're seeing the athlete and what they're seeing is, Hey, Great footwork. And and when you look at that as a golfer, what does footwork entail? Great balance. Toe to heel, right mm-hmm. to left. I don't know of any great golfer that has a preponderance either way the entire time or leans in one way and over abundance of time. It just throws things out of balance, period. It makes you compensate throughout the rest of your swing. So as far as feet and leveraging the ground, great balance. Toe to heel, right to left. That's going to equate into the better core stability as well. If your core is a little out of balance, I guarantee your feet are out of balance too. And if you've got foot pain, if you've got unstable ankles, which leads to a lot of foot stability, uh, some really simple drills for people to do is stand on one foot, but have that, when you do that and try to balance, most people will put their ankle behind them. If you've ever gone through physical therapy, they have you point your toe upwards to the sky and then stand on one foot, and you just stand there. And what that does, it alleviates your counterbalance. So it forces you to stabilize yourself on that ankle. And if I have amateurs do this all the time, and within, say, three weeks of going home and doing nothing but standing on one leg that way, they find that all of a sudden their footwork using the ground to leverage, to create more leverage from bottom to top, which equates to more speed and impact, it it disproportionately improves it themselves simply by stabilizing their feet and their ankles. Yeah, and and that's a great thing. And and actually, John, I've seen photos of you actually uh, demonstrating that very thing. Uh, I believe you have that on your, actually on your website, uh, johnhughesgolf.com. Um, where you actually do that partic- particular drill, standing on the one foot, and you've got your uh, opposite foot, of course, with your toe, uh, toes pointing up. And um, it's surprisingly, it's, it's not as easy for a lot of people as you think, because again, it, it you know it does offer a counterbalance, but you really got to focus on keeping yourself uh, stabilized, and that's a great way to to learn that. And as you said, with your students, 
having them go home and, and do that little exercise, it's amazing uh, how much over time, if you do it properly uh, and do it often, how much you, you, you're... See, what a lot of people don't understand, we, you don't always hear about the big muscles in golf, but probably more important than the big muscles is the stabilizing muscles in golf. And if your stabilizers, which is your smaller muscles uh, in, in most cases, uh, if they're not uh, working well or they're not uh, doing their job efficiently for whatever reason, whether it's out of shape or, or what have you, um, then you're going to have difficulty getting into that athletic position. It might appear that you are, uh, but you're not going to be very stable. And, you know, one thing that we used to – I remember in football, I, I played a little football when I was younger, and, uh, you know, the coach would ask us to get in that athletic position, and he knew whether or not we were stable or not, and he'd come up and just give you a little tap, you know, on, on the shoulder, you know, in front or what have you, and if you lost your balance, well, then obviously you weren't stable. So um, – and, and those weren't the big muscles. Those were your stabilizing muscles. Um, so very, very critical and very, very important and, and a great analogy uh, and point that you brought up, John. Um, again, Paul, I, I know that you're working with a lot of uh, different level golfers, including uh, some juniors and that as well. Maybe touch a little bit about some of the, the other things that uh, having a good, solid lower body uh, uh, can do to help uh, maybe increase uh, power and distance uh, and maybe some other things. Well, I think John did a really great job of, uh, <clears throat> you know, emphasizing <laughs> where power comes from and, and the fact that uh, if you can't use the ground, um, you are not going to hit it far. Uh, you know, so um, basically uh, I, I have a body track pressure mat. It's a, it measures vertical and horizontal forces. And um, what we see is that the players who move their pressure, their weight, uh, so to speak, uh, you know, toward the target really fast and stably in the downswing are the ones who hit it far. Um, and the way, the direction that you move your pressure, uh, that you move your weight um, in your feet can really affect the, the path of the golf club. So you mm -hmm. have to be able to, to push off the ground. Uh, you have to have a feel for that. And that means that you have to have good balance and a good, sense of kind of what your feet are doing in your, sh in, in your shoes almost, you know, um, and be attuned to that. So, um, I think, you know, being in, in good shape, uh, be feeling like you're in a position to make an athletic move. If your body alignments are in a good place, it makes it possible for you to, uh, make that dynamic motion and do it in balance. So, um, I think, uh, I don't know if there's much more that I can add uh, to what John said. Well, no, I think uh, a great, uh, a great addition. Thank you, Paul. Um, you, you hit it right on. Something else I just want to very quickly throw in there, and then I'm going to give each of you, because believe it or not, our, our time is up. Um, I'll give each of you a quick moment to uh, to let the folks know if they <laughs> want to reach out. Um, Catherine Roberts, of course, I, I know you're both familiar with her. Um, she obviously is very big in yoga, mm -hmm. and uh, one of the a simple uh, sort of test that she does um, and, and offers to a lot of her students uh, to really understand about stability in that and, and feel is she'll actually have them take off their shoes and their socks and walk barefoot. Uh, and, and the reason she does that, uh, she was explaining one time on the show, was that particularly, again, and I hate to emphasize this, but as we get older, 
obviously the nerves in our body um, change a little bit. And a lot of people, a lot of seniors particularly, complain uh, for various reasons that they don't feel the bottom of their feet uh, as, as much. So uh, that's why, uh, as she put it, you'll see very often a lot of elderly people will kind of almost like walk like a duck. And that's because they don't feel that sensation that their feet are on the ground. They're very, they become very unsteady. It's not because they're necessarily their muscles are weak or, or they certainly do over time, I'm sure, but it's because they don't have that sensation. So uh, I'm going to give people that are listening a very good tip uh, when you're doing some of these things that we're talking about tonight is slip off those shoes and, and socks and go out on the grass or go out in a carpet uh, area if you want so that you can actually feel something and uh, you know start maybe first by walking around and then get into some of the positions and some of the things that we talked about here on the show tonight um, and engage uh, you know the core muscles and understand and, and get your you know your shoulders pulled back and get into that athletic position but do it barefoot um, so that you can feel some of the, the shifting movements, you know, and, and you can kind of do a mock swing. You don't have to even have a golf club. You can just do some of the, the moves, if you will, and transitions, and you'll get a better feel and understanding of what you should be feeling doing it barefoot than you will necessarily in a pair of uh, golf shoes or, or otherwise. So uh, just food for thought, something that Catherine had shared on the show, uh, I think it was about a year ago, and I think it's some, some great advice. She's, uh, she knows what she's talking about, and and has been doing this for years. She works with a lot of major league baseball teams now as well. Uh, I think close to a dozen of them, if I'm not mistaken, uh, doing some of the different yoga and that. And this is one of the exercises that she does is, is getting them to, to walk barefoot and, and do some of the moves there. So uh, to, to really focus on the field. Uh, well, guys, as always, uh, thank you very much for, for doing this tonight. You guys have done a fantastic job. And, and again, John, thank you for stepping up for Clint tonight. Um, Paul, I'm going to let you go first. Uh, if the folks want to reach out to you, how they can they go about do that? Where uh, can they get a hold of you is the best way. And uh, and anything quick, if you want to plug it, uh, by all means, go ahead. Well, Ted, I appreciate you having me as always. I uh, look forward to being on the show next time. And um, my website's paulcastergolf.com. Uh, you can also find me on the Golf Channel Academy uh, website. Um, I have a private studio in Little Silver, New Jersey, right next to Red Bank. Um, <clears throat> with uh, uh, Foresight, uh, GC Quad Simulator, and uh, K-Motion, and Body Track, and I'm certified by all of these companies. I also teach, uh, I'll be starting to teach once a week in New York City at the Union League Club uh, starting next month, and I'll be offering TPI, certif- uh, TPI evaluations um, and programs there uh, in addition to instruction with K coach and and uh and body track so um it's been a pleasure and i i appreciate you having me on well as always paul thank you for your your thoughts and input into the show i appreciate it as well and keep up the great work and uh, i look forward to having you uh, uh join us uh, back if not this year uh definitely in the new year as well um john what about yourself uh, how can the folks if they want to reach out to you and anything particular that you want to uh, share with the, the listeners tonight Sure, Paul. Thanks. Pleasure being on the show with you. Uh, hopefully, someday here, soon we're both back on. And Ted is always an honor to to be part of the show. I appreciate the uh, the outreach when he needs somebody, and I'm more than happy to help when my schedule permits. As I always tell people, it's really easy. John Hughes Golf at a dot com. Put an at symbol or a hashtag in front of it. 
that's pretty much how you can reach me through social media as well. A couple of things to point out. I just announced to my email database a trip to the U.K. that includes instruction next June. Interested in finding that out, oh, wow. email me. I'll put you on the list and put that on there. And I've just recently announced that I'll be doing some instruction programs, not only at Falcons Fire, my home base in the Orlando area. I'm now also uh, have a very exclusive agreement with Streamsong Resort uh, to teach there and play all three courses while you're there with an instruction program with me. So if you're interested in those things, reach out. I'll let you know what those what those details are, and hope everyone has a great weekend. Well, it sounds great, and uh, thank you guys again for uh, joining me tonight on Golf Talks Live's uh, Coach's Corner. Uh, thank you, as always, for bringing your best. Uh, keep up the great work, and I look forward to having you guys join me again on uh, one of the uh, future panel discussions. Have a great weekend, guys. Thanks so much, Thanks, Ted. Ted. You do the same. Thanks, John. All right. That was my very special guest on the Coach's Corner panel, John Hughes and Paul Castor, uh, both great uh, golf professionals uh, out there to, to help you. And, and uh, if you visit their respective websites, johnhughesgolf.com and, of course, paulcastorgolf.com, uh, all of their contact information is there, and you will find it uh, at your convenience. So uh, let me move on, and I will introduce uh, my very special guest tonight. Of course, he's been on many, many times this season, and uh, I believe this is going to be his second to last uh, showing on uh, the season. Uh, he's got one more, I think, towards the end of October, and we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit about that and more. But uh, he's come back uh, this evening to uh, complete the second half, if you will, of a discussion that we uh, carried over last month uh, called The Biggest Mistakes You're Making at the Gym, Part 1. And we're going to, of course, uh, talk about Part 2 tonight. But let me introduce my very special guest, and then I will bring him on. Of course, I'm talking about Brett Cohen. Uh, he's a golf uh, fitness uh, instructor and Fitness Over 50 Authority and the founder of NY Golf Fitness Guru. Uh, and he's been teaching this great game uh, in the fitness industry uh, for over 17 years. He specializes in working with golfers and individuals over 50 and he is the only trainer in New York to hold two golf fitness certifications, uh, Titleist Performance Institute, or TPI for short, and Czech Institute, as well as two fitness certifications specializing, uh, of course, in the mature population. And uh, that's, of course, the Functional Aging Institute and National Academy of Sports Medicine. He's also a senior fitness specialist. So please help me welcome back my good friend and very special guest, Brett Cohen. Hey, Ted. How are you? Good evening, I'm doing Great. very well. Welcome back. Thanks for quite the introduction. We're going to have to add one more to that list next time. I have uh, oh. now the body track uh, ground mechanics oh. course. So. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, Exciting, you'll have to, right? yeah, you'll have to update me before next. Yeah, fantastic. Okay. Um, you know, yeah. what was it? Yeah, what was interesting before we we get started on our discussion? I just want to mention something. I was talking about with the panel. We talked a little bit about. Um, so, hang on a sec. Yeah. Pardon me. I didn't oh. want to sneeze on air. Pardon me. Um, okay. Okay. We talked about in the panel discussion about <laughs> of some of the, the uh, top physical attributes that we see in a lot of our elite golfers. And one of the mm. things that I had mentioned in our discussion was the importance of connecting with somebody like yourself, a certified golf fitness instructor, because, you know, there's yeah. a lot of things that, that the folks can do. And, and uh, so I really want to emphasize that, you know, there's a lot of great personal trainers out there. Um, but if you're somebody that's really – you know, jazzed up about helping uh, your golf game, 
sometimes, some, uh, again, I know that you carry a lot of the same credentials in that, uh, um, Brett, but uh, I think it's important that if people are really wanting to emphasize on their golf game, that they really need to seek out a, a certified golf fitness instructor because you're working primarily on a lot of the key areas that people are going to utilize uh, in their golf game. So I just wanted to point that out before we started our discussion. Um, yeah. As you. I mentioned, uh, yeah, not a problem. As I mentioned uh, just a moment ago, uh, on the last time you were on the show, uh, we, we talked about uh, the biggest mistakes uh, that you're making in the, the gym, and I'm not talking about you, Brett. I'm talking about the listeners yeah. out there. Uh, part, yeah. And we're going to talk about part two here uh, of the biggest mistakes you're making at the gym. But let's do, uh, let's do a review, if you can, uh, of, just so that people can get up to speed that maybe missed last, uh, last time you were on, uh, a little bit about part one. So maybe you can just uh, maybe touch some of the, the, the uh, important points. Yeah, yeah, we talked for quite a while, and we got a lot of information out. So let me review so we can catch everyone up to speed and then smoothly transition into uh, the other half of the topic. So in the last uh, talk, I identified that your biggest mistake was not going to the gym at all, um, which is probably right. the vast majority. And the reality is if you want to maintain or improve your health, and I know you know this, um, in order to feel better, move better, ultimately play golf better, then you have to exercise. You have to move. Life life is movement. And there's a quote I wanted to share from the infamous 92 years young Dick Van Dyke from a recent (laughs) book he wrote. Uh, It's an awesome book. If you haven't read it, it's called Keep Moving. And he said, age Uh is directly related to health. If you feel physically fit, age is immaterial. So I think what he's saying is the decisions you make on a daily basis over the course of decades, and he's been around for nine of them, will ultimately dictate how well you age. So I encourage everyone that's listening tonight, regardless of your year of birth, to get moving, get in the gym, start exercising, whatever is going to be comfortable for you. But um, movement is life. So the second mistake was going but not having a plan. And if you're going to go to the gym to exercise and you want to attempt to reach a goal or show some improvement in your health and fitness – it would make sense to know the best way to do that, and that's my job. So as a fitness professional, um, I help my clients uh, get there the safest and best way and help them reach their health and fitness goals. Uh, The third point I made was that there's a difference between training for appearance and training for performance, and that most people that go to the gym on their own gravitate towards that, as and in order to do that, they tend to do one of two different forms of exercise, strength and cardiovascular exercise, and neglect the other physical re- requirements. I know we're talking to golfers now, but this really crosses the board with anybody, is to play good golf and to be functional in life for that matter, you need flexibility, mobility, stability, agility, balance, and power. And most lay people just don't know how to train for that. They may know they don't mm-hmm. have it, but I'm not sure what to do to improve upon it. And um, and right. lastly, the focus was was on the cardio side. So we talked about, you know, if you're going to do cardio in the gym, get the best uh, result. And that I call that the cardio bucket. And the shortcomings were spending too much time using steady-state training, conditioning, mm-hmm. uh, as well as the downside of the treadmill. Uh, I don't know if you recall that part, but I was not happy with 
right. the treadmill training. <laughs> so if anyone wants to, um, right, <laughs> the cold is a treadmill. If anybody wants to review um, those points further, they could listen to last month's uh, interview or review the blog on the, on my website. All right. So today right. we're going right. to tackle the other half is the strength training bucket, the ifs, whys, hows, and what's of strength training for golfers. Yeah, and and let me just say we'll we'll um, we'll give the information at the end of the show, Brett, so that folks can go to. Uh, obviously, they can go back as you suggested. They can go and listen to the the previously uh, aired uh, show about uh, what we're talking about tonight. But uh, definitely mm-hmm. want them to go and, and visit your website and your and uh, your blog and see some of the great points uh, in addition to what we're talking about here. Um, all right, so let's move on. Yeah, let's move on. Um, you know, Brett, there's a lot of controversy regarding strength uh, training for golfers. Um, do you think golfers, uh, or should they even be doing strength training? Well, the short answer is yes. Uh, we definitely want to be strong. Strength helps us do everything we need to do better. But strength training needs to be done appropriately and intelligently in order to have benefits for golf. So it's not right simple as it sounds. But so the answer is yes. We'll kind of break break that down um, as we go tonight. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what are some of the benefits? Let's talk about some of the benefits first of strength training for golfers. Um, there are quite a few, of course, and so some of the reasons are going to be the following: one, if acquiring a basic level of overall strength is going to help you do anything easier. Uh, in an article I wrote last year for TPI, uh, came out, I believe in November of 17 called functional strength and power training for the senior golfer. Um, I noted that once we pass the age of 40 without train, without strength training, uh, we start to lose muscle mass pretty rapidly. And with the loss of muscle, we obviously lose strength. And when we lose strength, we also lose power. So this loss of muscle mass, which is the normal part of the aging process known as sarcopenia, and that is a Greek word for poverty, which means poverty of the flesh, we could lose 3 to 5% of our total muscle mass per decade after 40, and then that increases to 15% after the age of 70. That's pretty dramatic. There's a noticeable difference wow. in the appearance of of clients that I've worked with through the years and observation of my own dad who's about to be 79 between a 60 to 69 year old male and a 70 to 79 year old male. And that's the obvious difference. If they're um, not exercising regularly, uh, then you're going to drop a lot of muscle mass and you start to look old. You start to become old. So the thing is, is as significant as these changes are, uh, it's important to recognize that they can be minimized with the application of intelligent strength training. So we have a saying in uh, the strength and conditioning industry, two to maintain, three to gain. And what that really means, in other words, is that in order to maintain your, mus- your muscle mass as we age and basic levels of strength, you need to be performing a total body resistance training program at least twice a week. So that's my recommendation. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you're right. I mean, I'm, uh, 
hitting my mid fifties in March. Uh, I'm 54 now, I'll be 55 in, in March. And, and obviously, you know, I keep myself very active and, 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 uh, obviously in, in pretty good shape. I think, uh, I'm six foot four and, and, uh, mm. you know, I don't have a, a, a lot of, uh, my BMI is, I can't remember what it is up now off the top of my head, but, uh, it's, uh, it's not too bad. I mean, I need some work, yeah. need room for improvement, but, but, uh, <laughs> not too bad. Um, but you know, I'm I'm starting to creep up there, and and I know a common complaint I I hear a lot, uh, Brett, from some of our aging golfers is that loss of power. That's probably one of the biggest complaints that we hear. Um, what can yeah. and and or how can strength training really help with that? Yeah, so a part of the reason that happens, and it's a common uh, complaint amongst the over 50 crowd, is um, that decline in skeletal tissue as we age, as I just spoke about. So you know, strength is part of the power formula. It's it's strength times speed equals power. So if we lose muscle tissue, and then we're going to lose strength, and then obviously the result is power will diminish. Uh, there's also a loss of strength due to neural drive, and I'm going to get a little deeper into neural drive, but that's basically how the nervous system communicates with the muscles um, because that requires a certain protocol, which most people are not using. Uh, and that protocol involves um, power exercises, which help improve fast twitch muscle fiber recruitment, which actually diminishes at a greater rate than the loss of skeletal tissue. So all those factors together uh, is really the reason why there's a loss of power. So strength training is going to help us maintain our muscle mass, bone density, as well as power production as we age. It's, it's an important component of the power formula. Wow. Um, very interesting and, and good information to have. What about what are some other things? What else can the can strength training help us do? What what else is it good for? Yeah. Uh, another benefit which probably a lot of people don't think about is that the additional strength is going to allow you to handle greater workloads, greater intensities more easily. So what I mean by that is that the more strength you have, the more reserve capacity you have. Um, this is something I hear from the golfers I work with that I've had for over a season. Uh, they'll tell me that one of the things they notice is their ability to recover faster after multiple days of play. So for those golfers who only have a short season, like here in the Northeast and probably the Midwest, right. want to play two or three days a week in the warm weather, strength will certainly help you do that and give you the ability to recover more rapidly. It gives you the ability to practice uh, without form breakdown. I don't know if you remember, but last I think it was last season uh, – I shared the show with a few coaches, including Brandon Stocksberry. You remember? I don't know if you remember yeah. that particular yep. show, but Brandon yes. is, a, is a short game specialist, as you know. And he said, this mm -hmm. is a direct quote from that show, that there is a minimal amount of strength that a golfer needs so that they could stop worrying about that piece and put their thoughts in mind on what they need to be worrying about specifically in short game. And I think what he really is saying there is that in order to put in the necessary time to practice your short game skills, you need a sufficient amount of postural strength just to keep you out there. Uh, and I yeah. met golfers that say, well, I fatigue after 20 minutes or 30 minutes. Um, so 
strength is going to help you maintain your focus on the task at hand. Hmm. Very interesting. And yeah, I, I do remember mm-hmm. that, uh, that show and, mm-hmm. and you're exactly right. You know, Brandon, uh, Brandon definitely uh, is, is a great guy in the short game and, and he's exactly right. I mean, I see a lot of people and, and I think, you know, that is another reason why you see a lot of golfers when they're, you know, pre, uh, pre-round go out to the range and, you know, they'll hit a few drives and whatnot and they don't really spend a lot of time in the short game uh, area. Uh, I know the, the common go-to as well, it's kind of boring. It's not as exciting as pulling out the driver and that, but the mm. truth of the matter is, um, as you suggest, they, they get very fatigued after a short period of time working on some of these short uh, shots because they're in a, a different yeah. posture uh, than what they are. They're not really, you know, they're sort of, you know, in that uh, posture for, for hitting short uh, chips and things like that. Um, yeah. Another thing that we often hear, and, and, and I'm sure you hear a lot with your clients, uh, Brett, about strength training is, um, you know, as I mentioned just a moment ago, you know, I'm going to be hitting the stride of my, my mid-50s. Uh, how do you how do yeah. you know if you're ready for strength training? Is there a sign or or what's the what's the the uh, thought on that? What, what's uh, how do I know if I'm ready for strength training? Yeah, well, the prerequisite I have for my clients is really how well they move. So that's something that's covered in the uh, the intake screen or what we call the level one screen, and that screen is measuring movement patterns. It's measuring um, the following um, physical capabilities of flexibility, mobility, stability, and balance. And if I see that that particular athlete is not a good mover, then that's the first thing I'm mm-hmm. going to tackle. So before I apply resistance, and I'm going to call weight training or strength training um, external resistance, they need to be able to move well. So you must move well enough this is my opinion, to get into the positions required for golf. It kind of allows you to express the strength that you already have before we try to enhance your strength. Um, and and that's, a, that's a physical uh, skill known as dynamic stability, which uses all those other components I mentioned earlier uh, and putting them together in the movement we call the golf swing. So think of this analogy, adding strength, before having the physical ability to get into the positions required for a mechanically correct golf swing is like building a car with a really huge engine that can accelerate really quickly but doesn't steer. So it's really nice to have all that power (laughs) under the hood, but how useful is it going to be if the the car can't turn the corners? And that's kind of like what the golf swing is. That's the ability to turn the corners, to, to go from a static address position into backswing into impact, into follow-through, that's taking the corners. So if you lack mobility, flexibility, stability, balance, the strength is really not going to enhance your game very much. Uh, um, It really just allows you to hit the ball a little further in the wrong direction. So um, that's that's my prerequisite is I want to improve someone's ability to move well, uh, and then we're going to move – on to strength later on. So once I've established um, that part, then I'm happy to add strength into their program. Yeah, and it's like, you know, it's I sort of equate it to a building block, if you will. I mean, you have to build a good foundation to work from, and then, you know, there's other areas that, that, uh, like you said, stability and 
and um, and and that is obviously a, a, a prerequisite as well. Is is mm-hmm. you, there's things mm-hmm. that you can do to work on stability, and it's great to have all that power and that strength. But if the other components are not in place uh, to sort of support that, then as you said, you're putting that big engine under the hood, but you, you've got no way of steering it. So um, that, yeah. that's a great analogy yeah. for for golfers out there. Now, something I'm going to, and, and, you know, I, I kind of struggle with this myself. I see, and I'm, I'm guilty over time. I've, I've used them some as mm. well. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, I see some of the newer gyms, and I'm going to throw some out there, or one of them out in particular. But, you know, we see this uh, commercials all the time for Planet Fitness uh, as yeah. an example, where they're just <laughs> loaded up with, with the treadmills and the, the bikes and all this kind of stuff. So I see a lot of people using machines. This is sort of the new uh, gym, if you will, for strength training. Is that a, a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, well, machines aren't very new. Um, they certainly dominate the landscape at a place like Planet Fitness because um, right. that's the kind of clientele they, they're they trying to attract, I guess. But it's definitely a right. bad thing, and, and there's many reasons. Um, the first, you have to remember – that a muscle is simply tissue and it's the brain and the nervous system that controls movement. So there's another saying, there's a lot of sayings I'm going to throw in here today. Muscles are morons. It's movement that matters. Right. So we need to speak. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty humorous, but that's, that's a fact. Muscles don't have a brain. Um, what controls right. the muscles is the nervous system, as I mentioned. So we need to be strength training in, in movement patterns, not body parts. And when you are in a machine, you're training a body part in isolation of the rest of the body. Then there's other negatives that go along with that um, as well, uh, including the following one, golf takes place standing up in a three-dimensional environment, right, on your feet. And I caught the, the tail end of, of – um, the previous interviews and I heard you talk about the importance of the feet, which is becoming more prevalent in the fitness industry. So you need to have a good connection to the ground. If you're sitting in a machine, you're not going to have a connection to the ground. So that's Mm -hmm. another reason why you shouldn't be sitting in a machine. Uh, The other is your strength training program needs to be done primarily, as I said, standing up, but golf also takes place in, three planes of motion. Let me explain to the audience what that means. So we divide the body up into three planes, uh, a sagittal plane, which is forward and back, a frontal plane, which is side to side, and what we call a transverse plane, which is rotation. Uh, That's where golf is played, and all three planes simultaneously. But machine training is just the opposite of that, with the exception of uh, a cable system, Maybe you've seen some of those where you're standing and there's an adjustable cable right. system you can do pushing and pulling and rotation from, but you're on your feet for the most part, and there are exercises that are done from kneeling positions that are uh, prerequisites to standing. But any machine that you sit in, you're going to isolate and perform that single joint movement in only one plane of motion, and that is that sagittal plane, that forward and back motion. Um, and right. that's not going to help your golf game at all. Right? Anytime the machine guides the load, which is what happens in a machine, there's no need for the body or really the brain to recruit the body's own stabilizers. 
Those are the muscles of the hips, the spine, the shoulder girdle. And you're going to need those muscles when you stand up, and you're going to need them to perform in a coordinated manner. Um, so machine training for golf performance. There's, there's really no way that um, the strength you gain in a machine can be expressed in a three-dimensionally free environment. So using machine for strength training, not going to improve your golf performance. Great for appearance, lousy for performance. <laughs> and remember, as, remember, yeah, so that was part of what we spoke about, the, the, the mistakes that are taking place in the gym. First thing you want to identify is well, right. why are you there? Are you, you, are you there for mere exercise? Do you want to look better? Do you want to perform better? Um, so the exercise you choose, if you want to become better at golf, they must train your body to perform movements in a coordinated sequence. Right. Otherwise, it's right. not going to help your and, performance at all. You know, and and it's funny because, you know, you you see a lot of these different machines advertised and and so forth. And I, I won't get into a lot of it, but, and mm. and you know, they they look like they're they're really engaging everything. And I know it's obviously very effective marketing and advertising, um, but the truth is. I know, and, and you know, obviously, being in the fitness industry, that that a lot of that is just, again, effective marketing. And I understand, yeah. you know, there might be some benefits in other ways utilizing that. But for the golfers out there listening, you know, sitting on, a, you know, or getting on a treadmill or getting on a uh, some of these other machines, the the you know cycles and and so forth like that, are not going to help your golf game. As as Brett pointed out, they might make you look a little bit better. Uh, certainly will get you in, in some shape, but it's not going to target the areas that you really need to uh, and, and, and create the, the, um, the strength training that uh, is required. So having said all yeah. that, Brett, um, you know, if, if machines are not what we need to be doing, what do we need to be doing? Uh, what, what, you know, how should we be, be strength training? Right. So uh, after we qualify the athlete and they're able to move well, as I mentioned earlier, um, then we want to work on moving patterns with your own with your own body weight, and then um, which will help improve body awareness. This gives someone the ability or the capability of handling external load when they have some body awareness, because the focus of sport training should be on creating efficient moving patterns that come from that balance base that you just spoke of, right? Uh, that layering process right. of flexibility, stability, then strength, then power. Um, that's the foundation. You're going to start with those other prerequisites before you add strength. And when you do add strength, we want to do it in a functional way. And what I mean by functional is in movements, not muscles. So not powder, uh, rather the brain is going to only recognize patterns, not parts. So in order to train effectively, you need to be uh, focusing on functional patterns. And the functional patterns that I'm accustomed to training are squatting, lunging, bending, which is uh, the primary movement of a golf swing. First thing you do to address the ball is have a bend, uh, a correct bend. <laughs> Pushing, pulling, twisting, reaching, rotation, uh, all of those are taking place pretty much at the same time in a golf swing. Um, those are mm -hmm. the patterns, but they're put together in a sequence. So first I want to qualify everyone in those patterns without load, and then we're going to add load. And then 
when we add load in order to make someone a better athlete, I don't necessarily have to continue to add more and more load, which is a hypertrophy methodology. In other words, if I want to get bigger and stronger, I mm-hmm. continually add particular exercise or movement pattern. But for golf fitness, we're not really, uh, you know, interested in gaining size so much. We, we want smart muscles, not right. big muscles. So as we become more proficient in those movement patterns, we just change the neurological demand of the pattern, which has the effect we want, which is for that person to become a better athlete, which helps you perform well in life and sport. You know, it's interesting that you you say that, Brett, because something that I think a lot of people understand now, but I remember years ago, you know, we we would see a lot of athletes really bulking up. And I know that one of the problems in in golf is uh, an individual that's, and I'm talking really bulked up, has a very, Mm. very difficult time uh, making uh, a lot of the golf movements because their arms, because their chests are... Are, are you know extended so much and their arms uh, are, are, are beefed up as well that they're not actually yeah. able to get into a good golf posture and obviously yeah. you have to find a balance I mean t- Tiger was the exception I mean he didn't get too big but he got big and and you could actually see even at his peak when he was really sort of bulked up there um, that there were certain times even though he was able to generate a lot of power um, you know, it affected his posture a little bit because he was a little bit bulkier than probably what he should have been. Uh, if you look at him yeah. when he was a little bit younger, not, you know, um, and now again, probably he didn't now. get as bulked up as yeah. some people, but, but, you know, um, all right. So, so here's something that I, I want to sort of, uh, not really disclaimer, but a, a question I want to ask you, uh, because we mm. hear a lot of conflicting information. I've heard, you know, that uh, golfers should only lift light weights and do, you know, high repetitions. Um, is that accurate, uh, or, or what do you think about that? Well, that's one method that will prevent someone from getting big, as we just were talking about with, with Tiger. And sometimes when right. you add too much muscle, uh, the joints can't handle that, that load. Um, it's I don't know if that was his case, but... It is with certain individuals that try to add too much bulk. It's uh, there's not enough time for the the tendons and the ligaments to strengthen uh, and adjust to that load, especially when those exercises or strength training exercises are done in the matter I mentioned earlier, where we're focusing on mm-hmm. the large muscles in isolation rather than total body movements. So. We've been studying the science of strength training for a long time. I go back to your question about the high rep stuff. And by now we have a pretty good grasp of what happens to muscles when we use certain training protocols. So that high rep uh, range protocol, we know that if it's 15 repetitions or more of a certain exercise, it's very hard to add bulk. But it's also not very Mm -hmm. challenging or stimulating to the nervous system, which eventually we want to do because the nervous system, again, is what controls uh, the muscles. And I mentioned earlier when it comes to power loss that um, one of the issues with power loss was the ability of the nervous system to actually 
communicate to the muscles. And um, the, the way we could do that is by doing heavier loads for shorter rep ranges. So that actually activates the nervous system to a much greater degree. So like we know that if we do a eight to 12 repetition range of an exercise and we do three to five sets of that exercise in about three to five months, we're going to get bigger muscles. That's what we call hypertrophy. And that's what bodybuilders do, but we don't want to train like bodybuilders. So we can manipulate the loading parameters, the exercises, the sets, the reps, the speed of the rep and the rest period between the repetition uh, to adjust the body's response. And we could use that weight training to increase strength and speed and power uh, by increasing neural drive. Uh, And that's how we could get stronger without getting bigger. You perform a lower number of repetitions with higher loads, which is, is going to train not just the muscles, but the neuromuscular system that gives you better control of your body. So I think an effective hmm. training program at some point needs to be um, based on uh, protocol using higher loads for uh, a shorter rep range. And that rep range could be anywhere between four and eight repetitions, uh, which is going to help you improve neuromuscular coordination. It basically gets a stronger signal from the brain to the muscle, which is going to help improve power as well. And without bulking up, because there's not enough time under tension. That's, the, that's what causes the hypertrophy, is the amount of time under tension. That's why you have to do multiple sets of that same exercise and rest, because you're actually breaking the tissue down and waiting for it to, to build back up again. You know, that's very interesting. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's perfect. Um, You know, that really goes back to what I I talked about at the very beginning of our discussion about the importance of really um, seeking out a certified golf fitness uh, professional um, to to help you with some of these areas because, you know, there's a lot of great workouts out there, but obviously, you know, golf is different than maybe another sport uh, and how you might need to train, you know, for, for an endurance mm-hmm. runner or something, you know, I know you have experience there. Uh, there might yeah, be some I similarities, do. but there's certain, you know, there's certain workouts and certain uh, training involved for, for different types of athletes. And, you know, one is not always going to be beneficial for the other. So, you know, if you're in yeah. train, if training for a triathlon, you're not going to do some of the, the fitness, uh, if you will, that you might do to train for a golf. Now there might be some components that might be similar uh, but again, it's a whole different tra- training regimen. So this is why it's important yeah. if you're looking to improve your golf game that you seek out somebody that is specialized in the particular field of interest. And if it's your golf game that you're looking to improve, well, uh, you know, you're not going to go and seek out a personal trainer that's, uh, you know, training uh, uh, speed skaters or, you know, or something yeah. to that effect. You're going to seek out somebody that's, that's specialized in training, uh, obviously, uh, golf fitness. So. I just want to point that out yeah. there, and I think that's something important. I think people need to understand. Um, yeah. You know, you mentioned You're earlier. Correct, uh, yeah, you mentioned. Right, right. You you mentioned something earlier uh, in the segment, of course, uh, about being up in the Northeast, and and obviously, uh, you know, golf is is going to be winding down in in a in a short time. Um, so, is there a, an ideal time of the year, or when is the best time of the year for golfers to be uh, performing uh, strength training? 
Yeah, so I think you hit the nail on the head. And if, if I remember correctly, we uh, dedicated a whole show to this, I think, last year, uh, or <laughs> right. I believe, right, which is what, you know, what to do in the off-season. Yep. So we're approaching that yep. off-season. As you mentioned, we're getting close to the end of the golf season here in the Northeast, which ends, you know, about Halloween, but figure by the end of October. So really November 1st is when the off-season begins. And uh, if you're an amateur golfer, that's when you should start to think about next season. The, the day your club closes is when you start to plan your next season. Uh, and that starts mm-hmm. by going through the screening process. This is one of the differences between uh, the regular trainer that you mentioned or someone that is a non-golf-specific trainer uh, is right. the body of knowledge that we have that's specific to golf and the golf swing and the bio- biomechanics of the golf swing and the exercises that we use to help somebody move better, as well as our ability to communicate those things to a golf pro and or a medical professional, which we're trained to do. Um, so it starts with the screening process. That's the first step. And that's, then we're going to work to improve the mood of, movement patterns that you do not perform well in that screening process. And then we're going to add those layers of stability before we get to strength and power to prepare you for the upcoming season. So ideally, strength training would take place from November through April. Is it going to start on November 1st for the average golfer? Probably not. The process of moving towards that does, however, uh, with the goal Mm -hmm. of trying to peak athletically prior to the beginning of the season. Because once the season starts, this is uh, a concept some of my golfers have some difficulty grasping because I take them out (laughs) of a strength. Well, it's true. They go, why don't we do this anymore? We did this back then, right? So they're unaware that I'm creating a program based on a cycle. Um, Once the Mm -hmm. season starts, and, and by season starting, I mean their club is open. They're not coming in on Saturday anymore. They're out wherever they're playing golf, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I don't see them for three of, of the seven days a week. It's nearly impossible, one, to make true strength gains because of the infrequency in which we are training for strength, right? So remember I said earlier, right. two to maintain, three to gain. So if I'm not seeing them twice a week and they don't rest properly and eat properly, we're not making gains in strength anyway. Um, and so while they're right. playing in season, this is their time to uh, – they're going to need that extra time for maximum recovery and regeneration. It's another topic we've talked about, how to get uh, ready for the next day and play as well as you did the day before. So what I'm going to try to do during the season is is focus on maintaining those quality movement patterns that we've now improved over the off season and continue to challenge the nervous system and give them the recovery methods that they need. Cause it's kind of like they're on tour. You know, they barely have enough time to recover from one day to the next strength training is added stress. That's just going to send them over the edge. So my golfers are not doing heavy loaded exercises, even if they're qualified until we mm. rescreen in November and then we take a look at what's working, what's not working, and then we're going to add it appropriately. They're basically doing three-dimensional body weight moving patterns uh, at the moment, and they have been all summer long. So you need to plan ahead. Uh, if you're a golfer that wants to improve performance 
you can't come to the gym or go to a trainer in March, which happens a lot. It happens with a lot of athletes. You stay dormant all winter long. Right. And go, oh, you know what? The season's here. I can't touch my toes. Maybe I should help, get some help. Um, that's a little late <laughs> to get fixed by season's opener. <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, <laughs> we can help, but don't expect that's going to be your best season because it's not going to be your best season, especially if it's your first time going through a program like that. As your body changes physically, then your nervous system has to catch up to those changes. It just doesn't, well, somebody showed me a stretch and then I'm perfect forever. There is some interesting stories I have uh, that I've worked with golfers for short periods of time. Like we did an assessment. This happened recently person exhibited poor posture at address and I made note of that Um, next session was how to improve soft tissue quality and stretch didn't see that person for a week play golf two or three days in a row get a message Brett I had the best golf game of my life so is that going (laughs) to last forever no but (laughs) No. Just by improving his <laughs> flexibility and making him aware of his posture, he did something different that he didn't do prior to meeting me. Um, again, that's not a long-lasting change. So the things you need to do, right, the first step, identify your weakness, something we've spoken about before, the assessment. Then you're mm-hmm. going to go and establish yep. that fitness foundation, improve the patterns that are involved in the swing. And then once we get that done, we're going to start to add load to those movements. Uh, we want to do multi-joint, multi-planar exercise, eventually adding higher loads, lower reps to improve the neuromuscular uh, recruitment. And then that approach is going to help minimize the potential for injury uh, by preparing your body for the upcoming season as well as help improve performance. It's kind of a win-win. You just have to do it. You have to put the time in. Like becoming an athlete is a job, you know. Just look at the professionals. They spend a lot of time working on their body and their game. Yeah, and that's a that's an excellent point. You know, we see the same thing on the instructional side, um, Brett. You know, as as teachers and coaches, we see uh, you know students that have, have sort of gone into hibernation for the winter months. Uh, obviously, I'm in Florida, so it's a little bit different. But um, I can remember mm-hmm. when I was still you know living up in the in the north uh, section. And, um, you know, I would get customers that would come in the beginning of the season and, you know, they hadn't been swinging a golf club for a long time and forgetting the physical uh, issues that, that they were had to, having to deal with, um, you know, they would want uh, a lesson or two to start the season off and not really have time to be working on some of the fundamentals that they needed to uh, or some of the, the drills and things. Uh, and, and, or they'd come in like the week before their corporate event and say, you know, I need help with my golf game. Well, you know, mm-hmm. I can give you some, some tips and things like that. But as you said, the same thing on the fitness side, you know, you're, you're kind of coming in a little bit late. It's like trying to, you know, run the, the New York marathon and say, well, you know, a week before, can you train me? Um, you're not going to uh, likely do very hap- well. That's, yeah, that's happened to me. I've had... <laughs> I've had people approach me for that, and <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. With, like, four weeks out, they signed up for yep. a charity event uh, to get sponsored, and they had to finish mm-hmm. the event to collect that money, but they didn't train. And they go, can you help me? And, like, 
Yeah, but not really. You're going to hurt really bad, and you may get hurt out there. I guess you just didn't put the time in. It's not. It's not something to play with. So I know it's it's an analogy, but it's it's true. It's happened. Oh yeah, I, I can. I, like I said, I it happens in the instruction side all the time. That's one of our yeah. pet peeves, if you will, is is that people just you know come in last minute, and and really if they would put together. Uh, not just on the instruction, but obviously what we're talking about here tonight, if they would put the time and effort in, they would be amazed at the results that they would get. Uh, and they would be long-term because they would have a, an effective plan put in place. And then it's something that they can re- renew and revisit each season. Uh, and, and, and not just preseason, but postseason as well uh, and get prepared for the next season. And you'd be surprised. And as we get older and age, you know, as you, uh, suggested earlier, there are obviously fundamental changes to our bodies, and we need to adapt and yeah. improvise uh, with those changes. And if you don't do that, then you can't expect the results. And you know, there's not much that can be done for, for somebody that's not willing to put the efforts and time in. Um, I, yeah, I, I want yeah. to, um, yeah, before I get you to give some closing uh, uh, thoughts and, and and last bit of advice, I want to just mention to everybody. Uh, obviously, uh, as we talked about earlier, uh, you're going to be coming on next month. Uh, I believe this is going to be the last appearance of the season. Um, but I want to Correct. let the audience know that you're going to be attending the World Golf Fitness Summit uh, next month. Uh, first off, tell us uh, you know, where that's going to be taking place. And then, uh, obviously, you're going to um, put together some, some, uh, some great uh, information that you're going to draw from there uh, to bring in next month. Yeah. So where's that being held? Uh, I think we're, we're going to be neighbors. I'll be in Orlando. Yeah, this is oh, okay. my, uh, my, yeah, my second... World Golf Fitness Summit as a, um, as a TPI certified instructor. I've been with Titleist since 2010, but I didn't get an opportunity to go to a summit until two years ago. It's a biannual event. So two years ago, I went to my first summit in New Orleans, a city I'd never visited before. This is quite an interesting experience. And uh, this time it's Orlando, a little bit closer, so it's easy to get to for me. Uh, it takes place... October 12th through 14th. I'll be leaving on the 11th to get there. Uh, I'm excited for a lot of reasons. One, uh, I get to see the instructors that I've come to uh, admire or respect that I've known some of them since 2010. Uh, And I see them as often as I can because um, they really inspire me to become as good as as I can be. Uh, And there's there's a long ways to go. As far as I've come in eight years, uh, I feel I haven't even started yet. Uh, there's also going to be a lot of great speakers mm-hmm. there. Uh, some of them I know, some of them I don't know. Some of them are from the golf world. Some of them are not, and they're going to share their knowledge mm-hmm. and their training secrets with us. And we're going to see, I guess, how we could take that information and apply it to the conditioning programs of golfers to make uh, golfers move better and play better. And my objective, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you, but uh, I mentioned I wrote an article last year about, you know, the importance of strength training for the senior golfer, and I have specialties in yep. that. Uh, I'm going to try to put together a presentation for the next summit, which is not till 2020. So I'm going to start talking right. about it now because I have to actually start researching the material soon. I have a year and a half that has to be submitted six months out. Um, and there's a lot of competition. Mm. I believe there's 200 applications for 50 speaking slots. So that's the intention wow. for 2020. Yeah. And if I get on, 
I'll mm. be coming on your show and speaking about that one, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, that's a definite. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll plan on that for sure. Even if you don't, we'll still talk about it. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I think that's fantastic. Um, and, you know, it, I just want to point out something real quick, and then I, I want to give you a few moments just to, uh, to sort of close out the show with, with some last-minute advice. Um, you know, one of the reasons why, Brett, I wanted you to do this sort of series this year with, with some different shows um, is, you know, it's not all about, uh, as I've said so many times on the show, about how to fix the slice and how to do all these things. I mean, we can certainly, as instructors, uh, give some some tips and training on, on how to improve their golf game, but without the really core foundation of, of good fitness and and, and obviously uh, good nutrition and, and hydration and other things that we've talked about throughout the season, uh, you're not going to play your best golf. And that was one of the reasons why I want to do this. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people get on the Internet and they're surfing around, they're looking for all different things. And like I said, you might find some good information on there, but it may not be best suited for uh, uh, our yeah. golfers out there. So you want to make sure that you're getting your advice and information from somebody that's specifically trained uh, in our field of, of golf and uh, and not just pick up whatever tidbits uh, here and there that you might get. So I want to make sure that people fully understand that. So as we close out, uh, what are some last-minute uh, tidbits uh, or, or bits of advice that you can give us? Yeah, sure. So to sum up, uh, everything that I've spoken about tonight, that both of us have spoken about, is evidence is pretty clear. It shows that strength training can benefit you as a golfer, but it's not as simple as that, as I said earlier. It depends on what type of strength training you're doing. So it's more than just picking up weights. If you're going to the gym, you might as well be performing exercises that are going to help you reduce the risk of injury from play and practice as well as enhance performance. You just have to know what those exercises are. And if you don't, don't try to figure it out on your own. When there's an expert waiting for you, all you have to do is call. We're out there. We're all over the world now. Uh, you just have to go yeah. to my TPI site and look up an expert in your area uh, under the fitness column and find somebody that you trust, and they'll guide you along the way. That's what we do. Yeah, and there's no excuse anymore, Brett, for, for not uh, being able to reach out with the advancements of technology, you know, uh, online and, and, and other forums. Uh, you can easily search out somebody like yourself uh, and obviously, that's one of the reasons why I like to feature you on the show as well. That people that are tuning into this broadcast, I want them to know about uh, one up in you know in, in your area. Obviously, I know that you can uh, you know do some things outside of New York, but that's pr- primarily where you're based out of. And uh, yeah. there's a lot of golfers up there in New York, New Jersey, and things like that that uh, could benefit from from what you have to offer. So I want to make sure, and we have a big, 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 big following here in the United States. Uh, up in the New Jersey and New York area. We have a huge audience there. Uh, so for those of you that are tuning into the show up in that area, uh, Brett, let's, uh, as we close out, let's give them your information, how they can reach out uh, and uh, and maybe connect with you. Sure. Uh, it's nygolffitnessguru.com. Uh, any and every way to contact me is, is there on the site, telephone, uh, email address, web, website, of course, is there. It's going to take you to social media as well. But the, So the best thing to do if you want to contact me is either send me an email through the site or just give me a call, uh, and I'd be happy to help anybody who reaches out and let me know that you and, 
for the show if you do, please. Perfect. And and also on there, of course, uh, you know, you can see a lot of the great articles that, that Brett has put together, uh, not only about what we've talked about here tonight, but some other great previous topics. Uh, you can find his articles there. Uh, and another great way to stay in touch as well is to uh, get on the email list as well, correct? Yeah. So if they uh, ask a question or send a note through the website, I'll put them on the newsletter list and um, unless they tell me they don't want to. Uh, and then they'll be updated. Right, perfect. I don't send out all that many emails. I try not to overwhelm people. It's probably once every two weeks or so. Um, so you're not going to get an email from me every day. But um, it does right. keep you abreast of things. If I write something new or I have something important to say, uh, I'll let you know that way. Yeah. Well, and, and I like that. I like the fact that you do it in, in, a, in a way that's not – uh, overly aggressive because I know that that can be a lot of people, uh, you know, oh gosh, I don't want to put my you know email in or I don't yeah. want to give that information mm-hmm. and get bombarded every day. But the information that you are sending, uh, you do it in a very timely way and it is good information. And, and again, for those tuning into the show tonight, uh, my very special be- uh, guest, Brett Cohen, uh, is a certified golf fitness professional. And, um, you know, he is, uh, in my opinion, uh, one of the best in the in the industry and continuing to grow, and that's why he's going to the World Golf Fitness uh, uh, Summit here in uh, in just a few weeks, and he's going to come back next month and, and fill us in all some of the wonderful things that he's going to learn when he goes to Orlando. Uh, and you can go to nygolffitnessguru.com and uh, reach out to him that way. Uh, Brett, thank you as always for coming on the show tonight. It's been a very interesting yeah. uh, discussion, and uh, I appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to uh, to you coming back and, and hearing how the summit went next month. Yeah, I'm excited to report because uh, I'm, my head's going to explode from all the information. So it should be very interesting. <laughs> I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best. I've already told my clients, it's like, I have to filter everything that comes through me to them, and some of them are not ready to hear certain things. So you have to know who's really listening and who wants to learn or just just you do it and don't tell me <laughs> there are those people as well. Uh, so right. I can't even write down everything that I hear, no less digest and assimilate it, but it's going to be exciting. Uh, it's an overwhelming experience once every two years and be exposed to uh, great instructors and enthusiastic uh, coaches. So I'm excited and I'll report back to you when I speak to you next month. All right, sounds good. Well, Brett, have a great weekend, and again, thank you for for coming on and sharing uh, with us tonight on uh, what to uh, what to be doing uh, and some of the biggest mistakes that uh, you folks are making at the gym. Um, you know, there's a lot of them that we're all we're, we've all made over over time, and it's uh, about time that we learn the correct uh, things that we need to be doing. And I appreciate you, Brett, coming on and sharing that with the audience. So we all want to improve our our golf game for us golfers out there. And we want to make sure we're doing the correct things physically uh, to get us in, in, in the best shape possible to, to accomplish that. So thanks, Brett. Have a great weekend, thanks and again. I will be in touch thanks with you soon. Okay, thanks again. All right, my pleasure. All right, good night. All right, it was my very special guest, Brett Cohen, the founder of NY Golf Fitness Guru. Go to nygolffitnessguru.com. And, uh, again, you can reach out and contact Brett there. 
and um, also check out some of the great articles that he's written over the last uh, several years on his site. And uh, you may want to work with him if you're up in the New York or New Jersey uh, or somewhere in that neck of the woods or you're going to be heading up that way. You may want to touch base with him and, and connect with him and maybe he can help uh, if you're not somebody that lives there. Uh, I'm sure he's got a lot of great contacts in his field uh, that might be in your area. So maybe he can help you connect that way if, if you're not able to work with him directly. Um, I, I, once again, I also want to thank uh, tonight's uh, special guest panelists on the Coach's Corner, uh, John Hughes and Paul Castor. Thanks, guys, for doing a great job. And uh, again, uh, our, our thoughts and prayers are out with our good friend Clint Wright, who uh, was out in the uh, South Carolina area. Uh, who, of course, uh, had uh, a lot of devastation uh, last, uh, you know, the last couple of weeks, and they're still uh, reeling from it. So, unfortunately, he uh, sends his regrets that he wasn't able to come on tonight. But uh, obviously, he's got some some other issues that uh, he's going to be addressing, and we'll we'll catch up with him next time uh, on the Coach's Corner panel. But on that note, I want to thank everybody for faithfully tuning in each and every week. Uh, especially all of my listeners worldwide for faithfully tuning in to Golf Talk Live. And I, uh, as I've said so many times, have a great amount of pleasure and enjoyment of having a number of highly talented coaches, teach professionals, authors, and, of course, entrepreneurs stop by. And it's really through their participation and guest appearances that have helped make Golf Talk Live a first-class show and, of course, all of you, my listeners worldwide. So be sure to tune in next week uh, to the show. I will have another great Coach's Corner and uh, panel to start things off and then uh, I will also uh, have an interesting guest interview to follow so tune in next week here at uh, blogtalkradio.com to Golf Talk Live for those of you that missed tonight's broadcast or maybe you uh, joined in a little bit late if you go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Golf Talk Live or just simply type Golf Talk Live in if you wait a few moments uh, as things are still going to be compiling uh, you can go down to the on-demand section, scroll down on that link, and you'll see the on-demand section. And tonight's show and all of the previously aired uh, Golf Talk Live episodes will be there as well. You can listen to them in, in entirety. Or you can also go to iTunes.com, Stitcher.com, TuneIn.com, and TalkStreamLive.com and um, type in Golf Talk Live. <coughs> Pardon me. Sorry. My apologies. And type in Golf Talk Live and uh, you can listen to the shows there on some of those social media platforms. So on that note, I will see you next Thursday here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody. Have a great weekend, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.